Amen. Have a seat. Let me tell you what's uh, coming up here at the chapel. First of all, uh, we are opening up our swag shop again. It's not really called swag shop. I don't even know why I called it that. But our chapel store. And we'll put that on the screen for you here. And we are offering all kinds of different items. And I have a t-shirt. This is one step closer on today. Uh, whether it's sweatshirts, blankets, mugs. Uh, we have all of our values on a sweatshirt, hats. Uh, the reason we do that is twofold. One, it's, it's such a great advertisement. Uh, obviously, you know me that I go to the chapel, but when I'm out and about and I have a shirt on like this, I cannot tell you how many times people have said something to me about the chapel. And it's been just a great opportunity to just represent our church and talk about it. So it's a great discussion piece. The other reason is, you can, if you order it now, uh, by actually Black Friday, you will receive it uh, by Christmas, which is great. But all the proceeds, 100%, of every penny that we get in profit here goes to our chapel nursing home ministry. Now, if you have loved ones in nursing homes, we know how forgotten they are, and we want to make sure that we don't forget them as a church. And so when you buy a sweatshirt or a hat or anything, all of the money goes to those in nursing homes. And so what a great opportunity to support people like that. So you can text the word shop to that number on the screen or go to the chapel.family slash store. Get your order in by Black Friday and it'll be under the tree by Christmas. Also, uh, in a couple weeks, we are welcoming a special guest speaker. Her name is Sheila Knutson. She is the Northeast Regional Director for Celebrate Recovery. It's what CR stands for. And she's coming to give her story about how she survived child abuse growing up how she have, uh, survived her first marriage and some things that she went through there. And other people from our Celebrate Recovery Ministry are going to share their story of how God's worked in their life as well. So if you want to be inspired, if you've never checked out Celebrate Recovery, which is incredible ministry here, and you want to come and hear an incredible story, 6.30, December 1st, you don't have to register, come, and we'll have some food too. So that'll be a great time for everybody. Finally, uh, we don't have church next week, so please don't come. I mean that. Don't come to church next week. We won't be here. We are leaving the building. Uh, we are calling this, the church has left the building, a weekend of service, a way of life. Literally, if you come to the church next week, the doors will be locked. Because we believe the church is really the church when we're being the church in the community. When the doors are locked, when no one's in the seats, we're being the church. And we want to go out in our community and bless our community. One of the reasons we want to do this is because the chapel turned 35 years old this past fall. And we thought the greatest birthday party that we could throw the chapel is to go out and bless somebody else. You see, Jesus said, people will know God is real it is if we go out and show it with our deeds. And people see us and they're like, wow, there's something different about you. It's because we reflect our Heavenly Father. And so whether it's you as a family, you as a small group, you as an individual, we have so many opportunities for you to go be the church next week. I'm asking you this sincerely. Don't use it as a weekend off to sleep in. Do that another weekend. Next week, let's go and be the church. Let's go out and show people what it's all about. What we do in here and who we are, it needs to translate out and about as well. So if you go to our website, thechapel.family, and you go to TCHLTB, which stands for The Church Has Left the Building, we have all kinds of opportunities there. And that website is in your welcome program today. You can call us Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 9 to 5 this week. We will walk you through opportunities. You can email us and we will email you opportunities. There are so many ways that you can serve the community next week in little ways or in big ways. Just make sure you do it. And it's going to be such an incredible weekend. Then that night, 
at 6.30 here on the 21st, I expect all of you to come back and we want to celebrate all God is doing with a special worship night. We're going to have incredible music. I'm going to share a little bit from Ephesians 6. It's just going to be a great, great night to come together and celebrate all God has done. So that is next weekend. Get ready for that, all right? I'm going to pose this to you. I want to see if you agree with me. I think one of the greatest parts of life are our relationships. You agree with that? One of the greatest gifts, one of the greatest blessings in our lives are our relationships. I also believe that one of the hardest things about life are our relationships. (laughs) Do you guys agree with that too? You awake this morning? Okay, because I am pretty sure you would agree with me. Because when my relationships with my friends or my family or my coworkers are going well, life is good. Even when things are hard, if my relationships are good, life is good. But if life is good and my relationships with my family or my friends or my coworkers are falling apart, life stinks. <laughs> it is hard. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote the letter to the Ephesian church, knew that this was the case. That's why in chapter 5 of Ephesians into chapter 6, he is going to tell us about how to have healthy relationships. So let's put the graphic on the screen here, and I'll go from there. Thank you. You just keep it on the screen here. What we're going to look at today is the secret to having healthy relationships. I'm telling you, If you put into practice what Paul is saying today, and in just one verse, your relationships will grow, and they'll be healthier and happier, and they will thrive more than they ever have. And I'm not just saying that. I'm not one of those guys that just says something. I believe it. But what I am going to tell you today, how to go about it, is countercultural. If you watch it in a movie or a TV show or a book, you're not going to see anything talked about in this way. But when I look at our culture, and I see the state of our relationships, more marriages are falling apart than ever. More friendships are breaking up than ever. More co-worker relationships are breaking up than ever. All of these things are happening. Maybe, just maybe, our culture's got it wrong. And maybe, just maybe, God, who designed us and designed relationships, maybe he has it right. Maybe we should try it his way to see what he has to say about relationships. And I'm asking you, even if you don't believe in Jesus today, consider putting this into practice. And I promise you, if you do, your relationships will thrive. So here it is. In one sentence, here's Paul's thesis on how to have healthy relationships. He says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. That's it. Now, I don't think I have to convince you that we live in a me-centered world. Do I have to convince you of that? That everything in our world is catered to you. You and I are the star of our worlds. And everything from advertising to movies to what we read to what we see on social media, everything is geared towards you. It's geared towards me. We live in a me-centered world. Now place that philosophy into relationships and we wonder why our relationships are a disaster. I mean, we prefer ourselves more than other people, right? We want it our way, not someone else's way. When we deal with people, we oftentimes respond with annoyance, anger, indifference, then love and patience, the things that we want from other people. When we get in arguments or disagreements from somebody, how often do we stop and say, you know what, 
I should see this from your point of view. You are probably right. When's the last time you and I truly have done that, especially in the heat of the moment? Oftentimes, never. Our relationships are a mess because when we're in relationships with others, whether it's our spouse or a friend or a coworker or whoever it is, we just think about ourselves. And we hope other people adapt to that. Again, we wonder why our relationships are suffering in our world more than ever. If I had to sum it up, what our relationships look like, here's what it looks like. It's me, it's greater than them. I believe, whether it's consciously, but more times subconsciously, I, I'm better than people. I want my own way. And Paul, what he is saying is radically different. What Paul is saying is you don't need to read a book to get better relationships. You don't have to try hard in your relationships. No, Paul is saying you need to change your philosophy and your approach altogether. That we would flip it. So when we are in relationship with others, we look at their needs as more important than our own. That's why Paul says, in order to do this, we submit to one another. That word submit in the Greek language is what the New Testament is written in, simply means to arrange under. We're placing ourselves under somebody else. We're looking at their agenda and their purposes and the way that we want to treat them as more important. We're going underneath of them. William Klein in his Ephesians commentary puts it this way. To submit to someone means to subordinate their own interests to the needs of others so that the welfare of others assumes more important than their own. Literally this guy with a doctorate is simply saying, Paul is right. Other people are more important than us. And if we treat people as such, and we don't demand our own way, and we love other people the way that we want to be loved, and we treat other people the way we want to be treated, if we approach the relationship that way, our relationships will thrive. Now here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say submit to one another when the other person is being fair. It doesn't say submit to one another when the other person guarantees they will do this to you. It doesn't say submit one another when you feel like it or if the other person is nice. It actually has nothing to do with the other side. Our relationships will thrive if we, us, the person listening to me right now, me, will do our part. And the reason we do this is not because we always want to. We do this out of reverence for Christ. You see, if you know anything about Jesus... You know that he defined love in this way. Love is doing the best for somebody else. It's laying down our lives, our interests, our desires for the betterment of somebody else. That's the definition that Jesus says is true love. And that's what Jesus does. He comes, he lives a perfect life. He dies on the cross all for you and me so that you and I can thrive, so you and I can have freedom, so you and I can live the best life we were created to live. All of that because Jesus gave up himself for you and I. So if you want your relationships to thrive, give yourself up. I know a lot of times we think that's the opposite, but how is it going when you're just living life for you? How's your relationships? How's your marriage? How's your relationship with your kids, your grandkids, your coworkers, when you're always the center of attention? Is it going well? 
I know my relationships suffer when it's all about me. But when I flip it, when I make it all about the other person, and I serve them, and I love them even at my own expense, I am more happier than if I would have gotten my own way. And Paul is saying it's the secret to having thriving relationships. You're not going to find this anywhere else in our culture, but what God's word says. And maybe God's word is up to something. Now Paul, he's going to illustrate this in three ways. He's going to show you that in three important relationships, if you do this, your relationships will thrive. In marriage, in parenting, and at work. Many of us spend a lot of time in those relationships. And Paul's saying if you adopt this principle of serving one another and making them more important than you, then it'll thrive. So first of all, Paul, he talks about marriage, and he starts with wives, and here's what he says. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, when I read the Gospels, there are many things I love about Jesus. But if you understand the culture, and you realize it was a male-dominated culture, and you're a woman, you are going to appreciate Jesus even more. Jesus treated women in a culture where women were disregarded and oftentimes second class to men. He treated them just like he would a man with dignity and love and respect. He respected women so much that when he rose from the dead, the two people that he counted as credible witnesses, even though no one else did in that time, were women. It was women who found Jesus at the grave. He is 100% pro-woman. Now, some of you are here who are ladies. I'm not, just putting that out there if you didn't know that already. And some of you say, now, wait a minute here. Jesus is pro-woman, but he's telling us to submit to our husbands. Hello, it's 2021. (laughs) I understand that. But I don't think it's wrong. And I'm going to tell you why in a moment. But before I explain exactly what's going on here, and I think, wives, I think it'll make a little bit more sense. The reason I don't think it makes as much sense as it should is because you deserve an apology. Spoiler alert, if you fast forward a few verses, and he starts to address men, literally men are supposed to love their wives as Jesus loves the church. And Jesus gave himself up for the church. And husbands ought to do the same for their wives. Which literally Paul is saying, husbands, in your relationship with your wife, your wife should be able to point to you and say, that is the closest thing to Jesus that I've ever met in my life. And many of our husbands aren't like that. Many of us husbands, our wives could say that maybe about another husband or another man but not often about us, if we're honest. And because of that, wives, I'm sorry. And don't you worry, my wife will be sitting right here in the next service and I will give her the same apology. Because <laughs> I think if I, would, if I did a better job of showing Paula what Jesus really looked like through my love, then what this has to say makes complete sense. So I'm sorry. Now, husbands, we'll get to you in a moment, but all I can tell you is this. You have a second chance, and that starts today. Your wife longs for you to be Jesus to her, and it can start today. I'm going to show you how to do that in a moment. But wives, 
It says to submit. Now, again, this word means to arrange under. But let me tell you, before I tell you what it is, what it's not. My wife and I, we've taught on this before, and I'm like, Paula, I need a little help here. (laughs) What isn't submission? Can you help me define this from a woman's perspective? And she said, of course. And so here's what she said. She said, submission is not being inferior or second class to your husband. Wives are equal to our husbands in value and in worth, for we are both equally made in God's image. However, while we are equal, we just simply have different roles with husbands being the head or just the leader of the home. Okay? Now, the second part of this is key. Submission is not being passive. If you know my wife, she is the least passive person I've ever met in my life, okay? And I love that about her. I, I mean this wholeheartedly. There's nobody, nobody on this planet that makes me more like Jesus than my wife. I am so in love with her because of that. Is it easy? No. <laughs> is it good? Yes. She brings her gifts. Let's put that back on the screen here, please. She brings her gifts. She brings those things to us or to me. And it does not mean you agree with everything. It does not mean you have no say. It mean, doesn't mean you don't have an identity, initiative, and backbone. No. Rather, submission is bringing your gifts and strengths, your voice, your identity in Christ, and who you are as a woman to the marriage. And in doing this, it empowers you, and it empowers your husband to be more like Jesus. It's exactly what my wife does. And she helps me become more like Jesus. We are in this, we are equals relationship. I may have a different role or a different um, position than her in that way, but it means nothing when it comes to equality because we're equal. The third one is the most important thing. Submission is not submitting to your husband's sinful or abusive behavior. If what your husband is doing or leading you to do is against God's word, you are not to submit to it. God will never condone abuse or submission to sin. If that's you, your priority is safety to get help and seek counsel. Two things. One, women, if you are being abused physically, sexually, emotionally, relationship, you need to come talk to me. I will keep it safe and I will get you help. If you are a husband in this room doing this to your wife, knock it off. You are a jerk and you are selfish and you are hurting a gift from God. You need help too, and we'll get it for you. But that does not mean that we use our gifts or our leadership to look down on somebody or to hurt somebody or to thumb them down. That is not what a biblical marriage looks like. In fact, what a biblical marriage looks like is the male doing his part, even more so than what a woman has to do. Now, this word submit is a military word. It means that the husband is the squadron leader of their family. And we're just coming off of Veterans Day. And if you were a veteran in this room, I just so respect you and thank you. What I'm about to say, you're probably going to understand more than I even understand. But when I talked to my friend and I said, hey, tell me what a good squadron leader does for those underneath of them. What he told me was not about thumbing someone down, not about dismissing them, not about using their power to gain uh, power over somebody else. No, it's to give it up for the good of the team and the good of the whole military. Here's what he told me what a good squadron leader does. A good squadron leader leads his team, 
But he knows his team and focuses on taking advantage of each person's strengths so the team goals are met. A good squad leader is responsible to his team, but he never forgets that he's also responsible to his superior and his superior goals, not his own goals. I love this part. Like husbands, when we're leading our wife, the goal is to make her more like Jesus. The goal is to have her continue to grow because of our love and our care for her. And a good squad leader is willing to die for his guys. He's going to rush the pillbox when his guys are pinned down. He's going to stay behind to cover the pass so his team gets away, sacrificing himself to save the ones he's responsible for. This is exactly what a good squad leader does, and this is exactly what Jesus calls us to do as husbands for our wives. For Paul says this in Ephesians 5.25, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean and washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any fault or blemish. Instead, she would be holy and without fault. I know when we look at this passage and you see that word submit wives, you're just like, man, that seems so demeaning, so hard. And it's, it is hard. But I'm just telling you, wives, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. You should have the easiest job. Husbands, we should make it so easy for our wives to, be respect, to respect us and want to follow our leadership. Because our leadership should reflect not just a good squadron leader, but Jesus himself. When you read the Gospels and you read about Jesus' character, what is he? He's kind. He's gentle. He's selfless. He's patient. He's unconditional in his love. Husbands, we have to be that for our wives or we fall short of what we are called to do as husbands in marriage. And if you're a husband and you're like, man, I've blown it. I'm not being a good husband. That's why you're here today. That's why I'm here. Because I need to grow. I want to be that for my wife more than anything in this world. It's more important to me than anything. My job my friendships, the Browns winning, that's pretty big. But I mean, truly, like the most important thing, my goal in life is to be Jesus to my wife and hopefully my kids. Husbands, that should be the aim of our life. Not growing in our career, not growing up the ladder, not just needing to be with our buddies all the time. What are we doing to make sure that our wives are the most important thing in our lives? So when they come home, they think they're coming home to Jesus himself. You gotta grow. Now Paul, he, he's going to sum up what marriage is in one verse. And this is really huge and important. He says, so again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Dr. Emerson Egricks tried to say that four times. He wrote a book called Love and Respect based upon this verse. And he gives two different cycles that if we're doing this, it'll be one cycle, but if we're not, it will lead to another cycle. And I wonder if many of us are stuck in this cycle in our marriage. We just can't get out. Egrix, he calls it the crazy cycle, and that's how I feel sometimes. <laughs> and what he's saying is, without love from a husband, a woman reacts. Because she's made to be loved by us. 
And when wives, you disrespect or demean your husbands, we respond and we react in ways that aren't loving because we're created to be respected. And when we don't do these things, we get in this cycle and then it just goes out of control. The only way we can get out, Paul says, is what Egrix calls the energizing cycle. My love for my wife motivates her to want to respect me. And when my wife shows respect to me, especially when I don't deserve it, which is about nine times out of ten, it motivates me to show love to her. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't go to counseling. If you have marriage issues, you should. I go to counseling personally. It is so important. But I'm just telling you, you don't have to schedule a counseling appointment to do this. In fact, if you're struggling in your marriage and you just start respecting your husband and you start loving your wife, I promise you 90% of your marriage problems go away. Because when you get into that cycle, it just goes out of control. But when we get into this cycle, things start to fall in place. Why? Because that's what we're created to do. That's how God created us to be, is to respect and love one another. And our marriages begin to thrive more than we ever thought possible. Now, Paul, he's going to move on, and he's going to talk about kids and parents' relationship. And I'm only going to make one comment on that. Paul says that children ought to obey their parents. We're supposed to respect our parents. That means if you are 5 or 50, if your, kid, if your parents are alive, we're called to respect them. And not always obey them, but at least show them respect and show them that, God, you gave us our parents. I want to listen to them. You're going to speak through them. But quickly, Paul, he goes from children to fathers. And I'm like, really, Paul? You couldn't include mothers in this one, too? You have to go after fathers? But I think I know why. Turn to chapter 6, verse 4. He says this to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. I've wondered why Paul talks to fathers here and not mothers. First of all, if you're a mom, I talked to a mom last night who, she said, I'm a little bit more harsher with my kids than my dad. This is a principle for everybody, and I get it. But I think Paul's addressing dads because we tend to be a little harsher with our kids than moms do. And a lot of times we defend that or justify it. We had a hard day at work or we're carrying a lot with life. And I understand that. But God's pretty clear. You and I have, don't have one reason to claim that it's okay to be angry and lash out at our kids. I, I hate to admit this. I would say I struggle in the husband department I'm not perfect at all, but I think I do a better job at that than I do in this verse, for sure. I have kids that are, I have four kids, nine, seven, five, three. If you want to pray for me, I have kids that are nine, seven, five, and three. <laughs> but I forget that they're kids. They're kids. They don't know how to control their behavior. We don't know how to control our behavior, and we're adults. They're kids. And when we lash out in anger with them, we're not showing the patience and discipline and instruction that comes from God. I know it's hard. I get home from work, and my kids, it is like a romper room in my house every day, and it is just so hard. 
but there's no excuse, no bad day to be able to say, I'm gonna go off of my kids. Because at the end of the day, it's not your kids' behavior that God has a problem with, dads, it's ours. And we need to stop being so selfish with our kids. And if we're that stressed out, we better make a change in our life because our kids deserve the very best from us, dads. And if we're too thin or we need to give up something in order to be there more with our kids, we need to do it. And here's the scariest part, dads. And I don't even like verbalizing this because I know it's true. Kids have a direct correlation with their view of God by how their dad on earth treated them. If you are being harsh and rough with your kids, and you're not being patient, and you're disrespectful and unloving, your kid's gonna grow up thinking that's what their God is like. But dads, if we do our best, and we love, and we're kind, and we're patient, and when we mess up, because we will, even on the way home today, and you ask for forgiveness, and you humble yourself, your kid's gonna know that they have a dad that forgives them as well. We do need to do a better job, Dad, because there, there is a pandemic in this country. I think it's with dads not being there for their kids like we should. So Paul, he talks to dads, and then he's going to go into one more relationship, which is bosses and coworkers. And I just want you to know, Paul is going to use language of slave and master. And you're just like, okay. You got submission, and then you got slave and master. Hello, Paul. Like, what is going on? You got to understand, this was written in the first century. Slave and master is not what it means to us today. Of course, we look at slaves, and we know how degrading that word is, and it's awful, and it was based on skin color, socioeconomics, and power. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about slaves who are just everyday workers, who are just called that, trying to provide for their family, and masters were simply bosses who employed them. They could leave anytime they wanted. They were not held against their will. But that's just what they were called back in the day. So here's what it says. If you are a coworker and you have to go to work later today or tomorrow, this is for you. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all of your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. And remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Here's what this means. If you hate your job and you hate your boss, you can still worship God at work. I love that what Paul is saying here is, even if you don't like what you do, even if you don't like who's above you, at the end of the day, you're working for God and not for your boss or not for your company. And where you are at right now, you are there for a reason. Some of you need to hear this. You are there for a reason. And the reason is bigger than bringing home a paycheck. The reason is for somebody that needs to know Jesus. And you are in that place as a missionary to be Jesus to that place right now. Worship doesn't just happen on a Sunday. Worship happens wherever we are, including work, when we do so unto Jesus. Now, if you're a manager or a boss, let me speak to you for a moment. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Some of us call ourselves bosses and supervisors and managers, but we only have that title because that's just what's given to to us. And here's what I mean by that. Some of us are bosses, and we look down on our people, 
we power up, we diminish other people. You may be a boss or a manager, but if that's you, let me tell you, you are insecure. The most secure people never look down on people. The most secure people, no matter their position, will always treat people with respect. Always. Because they recognize that they don't have to find it in anybody else. They have it in Jesus. And if you are a boss or a manager, and you lead something, and you're a Christ follower, and you're acting that way, what an absolute terrible representative we are of Jesus. Jesus calls us bosses to treat those underneath of us with dignity and with respect. It doesn't matter our position. It matters how we use our position. And we use it to lift people up, not to push them down. If you're a Christ follower, that's what you and I are called to do. If you have any questions on that, go read Philippians 2. It says that Jesus gave up everything in order to serve us. Bosses, managers, you and I are called to do that as well, no matter where you work. You see, I know it's radical. And it's countercultural. And people will disagree with you. But if you want successful relationships, you just have to do one thing. One thing. Serve other people. Treat other people better than you treat yourself. Love others. And watch your relationships thrive. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for who you are. Thank you for your grace in all of these areas. Lord, I, I, uh, it is so hard. Relationships are so hard. Especially the ones that we want to thrive the most. But God, you give us a second chance today. If we've done something bad as a wife, or as a husband, or as a parent, or as a grandparent, or as a boss, or as a coworker, you give us a second chance today. God, give us the confidence Give us your spirit to change. Help me to go against the grain and love people. For when I do, I treat people the way you treat me. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.